Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us. And we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day. And I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events. And uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. There are three key scriptures, Isaiah 35 and 8, Hebrews 12 and 14, and then um, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. Amen. Isaiah 35 and 8, Hebrews 12, 14, Romans 12 and 2. And an highway shall be there in a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And then for this particular uh, lesson in this series, um, we're reading Romans 12 and 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And this particular lesson in this series is entitled, Be Not Conformed. Be Not Conformed. Look at somebody and tell them, Be Not Conformed to this world. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that we feel in this place. I pray you would open our understanding. I pray, Lord, you would give us revelation and clarity from your word, oh God, about what it is that you are speaking to us and you have spoken to your church throughout the church age about separation and conformity and holiness and walking with you. We ask that you would touch each person in this place tonight. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, last week we kind of did a, a, a bit of a brief recap and we talked about... Um, how that separation is a is a biblical concept. God has always had his people uh, be a separate people, amen. And that separation <clears throat> does not always uh, bring acceptance. Matter of fact, it brings a lot of rejection. Uh, we're actually seeing that with the Jewish people right now. Uh, God's people have always been a separate people. Amen. And we talked about that from the time that we were born, um, that we were born with the Adamic nature that of, of, of sin, that fallen nature in us, that, that would always have a propensity to sin, a propensity to carnality, and that we all drift downstream away from God. How many remember that? We talked about the rip current. We talked about how that... That carnality in the nature of man is a current that pushes us away from God down the stream um, of destruction that leads to hell, down the river, that current that leads us uh, to hell, brought us the road that leads to destruction. And then uh, we talked about that you, once you begin to serve God and you are born again, you turn around and you swim against the current. You're going against the current. And so, obviously, there's going to be resistance, and there is going to be some struggle. And this is hard for a lot of people to understand, 
because so much of modern Christianity is centered around the fact that God doesn't want you to have any problems in your life, that God doesn't want you to struggle. And so, therefore, we have so many, so many that are spiritually, thank you, emotionally and mentally weak in living for God because they think it's all about they're supposed to feel good. There's not supposed to be any problems. Guess what? Just because you're saved doesn't mean you won't ever lose a job. Just because you're saved doesn't ever mean uh, that you won't get the, the car that you want or the house that you want or even the promotion that you want. Um, just because you are saved doesn't mean you won't ever be sick. Doesn't mean people aren't going to uh, uh, not just adore you. Amen. It, you, you're going to have haters. You're going to have people that oppose you. You're going to have people that, that can't stand what you uh, believe and what you stand for because while everybody else is swimming one direction, coasting through the current of carnality, you are swimming against it. Remember, we talked about the, the Mississippi River and the Red River and how muddy all that is. But where the Mississippi River begins, the headwaters of, of uh, the Great Lakes, it's very clear and very pretty. You get down to where I live, that river, is, there ain't nothing pretty about that river. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a current of chocolate, dark red chocolate milk. It's, it's horrible. But that's why our catfish tastes better. Amen. It's got a lot of mud flavor in it. I'm convinced. I'm telling you, I've ate some of, I've ate some of the crawfish out here. I don't like crawfish from here. The water is too clear. I like my crawfish back from Louisiana and where I'm from because it's muddy water and it has a total different flavor. So, take, do with that what you want to do. Amen. Uh, but the, the further away you get from the Gulf of Mexico going north, the clearer and the cleaner the water is. And we all start out in that innocent stage drifting down from the headwaters because life flows from who? Flows from God. And when we're born, we start out in that level of innocence, but we have that nature that drifts us down. And you're a little kid. You know, you're three years old. You're not a murderer, hopefully. You know, you're not a serial killer and a psychopath. Um, so maybe you ate your, your sibling's chocolate bar and lied about it. Maybe you poked the kid in kindergarten in the eye and maybe you got in a fist fight in the third grade because you're drifting down. And eventually those sins get stronger and stronger and stronger to where when you become an adult or an adolescent, this, it grows to immorality and it goes to addictions and it grows forward. And you're drifting further and further and further away from God down that stream of carnality. But when you are born again, God does not transcend you up out of the waters and just take you back to the headwaters of the Great Lake where it's all clear and pure. No, you have to start from where you are, turn around, and work your way back to God against the current. So you're going to bump into people. Sometimes you're going to get tired, right? Sometimes you're going to, sometimes you're, have you ever had a, a, a hamstring calf uh, or a calf muzzle cramp up on you? You ever had that happen? Sometimes living for God, you're going to get a cramp swimming. You want to know why? Because you're not hydrated with the Holy Ghost. And you're going to cramp up and you're going to lock up. And you're going to, ah, ah, ah. And you're going to drift down a little bit. But you don't just lay on your back and go, oh, there's no use. I'm in pain. You turn back over 
and you start swimming against those headwaters. And a lot of your Christian walk, you may feel like, I'm not really gaining any ground. But if you ever pay attention, the water's a little clearer where you are now than where you first came to the Lord. And sometimes you'll drift back down again just because you looked up and was waving at people and and. You can't stop swimming. There's no time for the rest. There's no time to rest. It, the moment you stop swimming, you drift back. That's why in living for God, we are constantly advancing in our walk with God or we are backsliding because we're going against the current, against the stream of carnality and sin. And I had mentioned that this is why that a lot of people that have served God for many years, and by the time they get into uh, their, their uh, golden years of life, and they've been serving God 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, uh, they'll say things like, like, I've never regretted a day I've lived for Jesus. It gets better living for, I, I'm, I'm having more fun living for Jesus now at 73 than I did when I was 15. Why? Because the waters they're in now are a whole lot clearer than where we're at right now. They've been swimming a long time. They're getting closer to the headwaters. They're getting closer to the end of this physical life and to that, to that supernatural eternal life. They're getting closer to the source that gave life who is now going to take life. So you need to keep swimming. Look at your neighbor and say, you just got to keep swimming. <clears throat> because Paul told us in Romans 8 that to be carnally minded is, is death, but to be spiritually minded is life. Amen. And so we, we've got we've to change our way of thinking to not, not what can I get away with and still be saved. Because that's the mentality of modern Christianity, and it, is, it has wrecked. It has absolutely wrecked a concept of living a life for God holy and separate. And we talked about this, and uh, Brother Garza posted the link that Dr. Bernard did a couple of weeks ago. It's phenomenal. Uh, in the last 40 years, 50 years, up until the 60s, every denomination believed this on so separation and holiness. We would agree on about 75 to 80% of everything we teach now. They taught 75 to 80% of it up till 50 years ago when it comes to separation from the world and holiness. But what happened? The carnal nature got involved. They, they got more interested in education in the ministry than they did anointing in the ministry. And that's not coming from me. That's coming from the elders who regret making those decisions. And they allowed these things in and they compromised. And, and one generation compromised and said, well, I don't think this is really necessary anymore. And then the next generation came along, you know, next group came along 10 years later and said, well, if that wasn't necessary, then this isn't necessary. And five, 10 years later, the next group came along and said, you know what? Look how archaic this way of thinking is. We've already come this far. We need more liberty. And, and so then they let this go. And then they let that go until now it's controversial to say that is man is a man and a woman is, is a woman in a Christian church in America. We've went so far from the issue of women be women and look like women, act like women, men look like men, look and act like men, and all of that stuff to, to where now to even make that statement, there's only two genders, a lot of Christians will lob the phobia grenade at you. And if you only say that the Bible teaches, and so does nature, that 
that um, a marriage should be between a man and a woman, well, then you're, you're in a phobe, you know, you're homophobe or transphobe or whatever phobe. And, and I don't have a phobia about being called a phobe. Just throw it at me. Uh, don't care. Like 99.9% of the time, the people that are lobbying that, they're projecting their own biases. Found the most people that yell it the loudest are the ones that are struggling with it the most. And so you got you to give up thinking, caring if people are going to be against you because you take a stand for God's word. The world is going to be against God's word. They're coasting down the current. We're swimming against it. We are resisting it. So you, you got to go ahead and settle that in your mind. So it's not, what can I get away with and still be saved? It's, what does God desire of me? Well, pastor, just tell me, draw the line right now. Just tell me, draw a line and say heaven, hell. And, and, and I need to know. that's a horrible idea and way to serve God. Try that with your spouse. Go to them tonight and, and say, tell me what I absolutely cannot do or you'll divorce me. Isn't that stupid? Let's just be honest. Isn't it stupid to walk up to your spouse and go, what can I get away with that you won't divorce me for? But we do that with God all the time. Because sin will divorce us from God. It separates us from God. And we go to God and say, okay, God, draw the line, Pastor, draw the line. Tell me, if, if I even put my pinky toe over there, you're just going to zap me to hell. Tell me what I've got to do. That's it. Just, just... And, and then, then it'll be followed up with, well, let me argue and tell you why I think you're wrong about that or why I think God makes an exception for me. When you are serving God only to escape hell, you have a very bitter view of God. But when you serve him because you love him, your life has a different aroma. I'm not living this way just because the Bible said I'm living this way because this is the best way, even outside the Bible, this is still the best way to live your life. Free from addiction. Free from immorality. Amen. And, and, and so I, I could go on that. So uh, we pick up on this uh, where he says, love not the world. Everybody say, love not the world. Now, the world defined in the original Hebrew and Greek, there are various words which have been translated world in the King James Version Bible. In the Old Testament, the, the word world generally signifies the planet as being uh, habitable and, and fruitful. So the Bible is speaking of the, you know, this spinning, floating sphere, again, if you believe that. I have to qualify because some people believe in flat earth. You know, just got to throw that out there, you know. Because <laughs> I'm sure that if you don't, if you make fun of that, I'm sure that there's a phobe that you're going to be called, right? Some name. You're going to be a bigot of some sort. Um, you're you're a flatophobe or something like that, right? You're a flatophobe or whatever. <clears throat> you're a flattest. Or, or <clears throat> just know when I hear those terms, I'm laughing at you. When you lob a phobe at somebody that disagrees with you or whatever, I'm just laughing at you. I feel I, with great pity. 
And so that's what the Old Testament is typically referring to. But in the New Testament, it has a different meaning. One reference in the New Testament refers to the world as the populated world or people. Another word in Greek is uh, aeon, which is translated world is, um, it's aeon, it, it combines with time and space. Now, cosmos is the Greek word where we get the cosmos. And it, and it means the planetary system of earth. But eon is where we get eons, where we get time. And so there's two different words. Now, Satan rules a kingdom which is opposed to the kingdom of God. Satan rules a kingdom that is opposed to the kingdom of God. Uh, you can read that in Luke uh, 11 and 18. It is this world. It is this world. A system that is opposed to God, that Christians must not love. It doesn't mean don't love the planet. You love the planet. You go hug all the trees and kiss all the whales you want to. You love the planet. I love the planet. But that's not what he's saying when he says love not the world. What he is saying is love not the system of this world. In 1 John uh, 2 and 15, love not the world, Neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, don't shoot the messenger. Don't be mad at me. Take it up with God. Because the word of God says that you are to love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. So you're not to love the system of this world. The, that man's system uh, let, let me put it even a little more simply. You, you're not to love what, what the world defines as holy or successful or in or fill in the blank. We're to look at God's word and God's system for our life. And if the world system happens to in some points coincide where God's system does, that's fine. But we are not looking to take God's word and conform it to a world system. We take our life and conform it to God's word. Amen. And so he is saying, love, don't love the world. Don't love the things that are in the world. Because if any man loves the world, you don't have the love of God in you. And so there may be good people that... Uh, quote-unquote good people. Uh, biblically, I could argue that's impossible. Because when they came calling Jesus good master, he turned and said, none is good but God. So I can make that argument. You can't say people are good. Okay. But let's use that term for argument's sake. Well, they're good people. That's fine. Good people can do good things and not love God. An atheist can rescue a puppy out of a ditch from drowning. All right? They can do good things. But if you love not the world, or, or if you love the world, you can't have the love of God. If you are deriving your identity from the system of the world, John says, God's love cannot be in us. Amen. Amen. In John 2 and 16, 1 John 2 and 16, the world is defined by what it consists of. 
and, and, it, and it also explains why we must not love it. There's a threefold source of evil in the world. There's the lust of the flesh, there's the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, right? That's what the Bible says, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh means that this is the desire of the body to satisfy carnal lust in doing things that displease God. That's lust of the flesh. Lust of the, and this ain't my definition, by the way, a whole lot smarter people down through the last four or 500 years have come up with this universally accepted idea of that term. Lust of the eyes, it means the eyes are the gate through which the world is able to appeal to the carnal lusts of the flesh. And the number three is the pride of life. Everybody say the pride of life. Now, this is the most subtle of the three. The other two, you could probably liken unto a lion, one to a bear. We're not on that scripture, Brother John. If you just pull the slide up. Um, you can liken one to a bear, one to a lion. They're very obvious, you know. The, the uh, lust of the flesh is pretty obvious. You don't sit there going, I wonder if my flesh is lusting. Right, it's like, Rawr! the lust of the eyes, same thing. But the pride of life is like a snake. It's very subtle. For it exalts self and causes a person to lift himself up in rebellion and in disobedience to God. Two of them are very boisterous and demonstrative. But the last one is very subtle. The pride of life will convince you that you're right and even God is wrong. I have literally had people sit across from me more times than I can count. Literally look across me and say, I know the Bible says that, but I don't agree with it. And I'm still a Christian. I'm going to let that marinate for a minute. And, and you might be thinking, Pastor, I think you might be, you know, putting a little bit more into their statement than what they said. No, I am, quote, I am telling you word for word what I have heard many people look at me with the Bible in front of them and say, I know what the Bible says, but I don't agree with it. And oh, by the way, I'm still a Christian and I love God. It reeks of pride. And I know what the Bible says about pride. It said pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I, I, I never see people like that turn out well. Because if it fails them, if, if somehow they are able to maneuver around the catastrophe of it, their kids will bear it out. See, that's the pride of life. The pride of life that says, well, that's just your interpretation of Bible. When it's clear and it cannot be interpreted any other way. Well, that's just, I have a different interpretation. That's the pride of life. Why do, you, why do you think they call the LGBT movement the pride movement? Right? Hello? 
That ought to be a ding, 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 flashing neon signs. But their whole movement is built on pride, taking the rainbow that God gave as a covenant to man that he wouldn't destroy us through a flood again. And they take that and say, we're better than God. Because you'll have LGBT-friendly Christians, and I pull I'm air quoting that as big as I can if you're listening online. Because that's, that's like saying a wonderful Nazi or a sweet murderer or sanctified adultery or a glorified lie. It, it, it doesn't, you can't be both. It's like saying dry water. It's impossible. Can't be LGBTQ Christian. Can't. And if you think you can, your, your flesh has deceived you to make you better than God. Because God's not. Amen. I know you believe. I'm just, I'm just, I want to reemphasize this. And, and you say, well, they're going to, you know, whatever. That's fine. If the Lord gives me 30 more years, I'm going to stand. I'm going to say the same thing. Because the Bible is so clearly against it. That when you say, well, I believe God is silent on that issue. You have a spirit of pride. And it's the pride of your flesh that you have exalted yourself above God. And, and ask the other gods of this world how that ended up for them. Because pride goes before destruction. Amen. Uh, I, I better, I, I, maybe I should say it. Yeah, I'll say it. It's, to me, it's funny. When you see all these people at the Pal pro-Palestine rallies waving their rainbow flags, it's, please go to Palestine and do that. See how that works out for you. These big dummies out there waving their rainbow. If you weren't in public, they would cut your throat. They hate you. These politicians got the rainbow flag and the Palestine flag right beside their office. Please, please go over there with your pride flag and tell me how that works out for you. Now, obviously, I'm being facetious. I don't want you to do that because what they'll do in the Muslim world is they'll throw you from the top of a building or stone you to death. And I don't want that to happen to anybody. But the, the audacity, the arrogancy, the pride of this movement, they think they're gods. They think they're gods. That's why they're doing to children what they're doing to children. They think they're gods. They think they can reverse engineer God's design for a human body. It's the pride of life. So when you look at the word of God and say, I know it's in God's word, but I don't agree with it and I'm still saved, that's the pride of life. That's exalting yourself to be God. I don't want to be in that position. See, this is a threefold source of evil that was employed by Satan in the temptation of Eve in the garden and of Christ in the wilderness. In Eve's temptation, the forbidden fruit was good for food, the lust of the flesh. It was pleasant to the eye. That's what the Bible said. It was good for food, right? It was pleasant to the eye. What is that? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, 
And then she desired that it would make her wise. What is that? The pride of life. This evil threefold cord was woven in the garden. The devil suggested in the wilderness temptation, make these stones bread, the lust of the, the eye, right? And then he said, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. That's the lust of the flesh. Then he said, if you'll throw yourself down, angels will bear you up on their wings. That's the pride of life. See, the first Adam fell to it. The second Adam overcame it. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, through these channels, Satan endeavors to attract God's people to worldliness. The devil is using the same three tactics to try to get you and I to become worldly. You know what worldly means? It just means world-like or of. So he wants us to have a love of the world forbidden. The Bible states plainly that there is no neutral ground between God and the world. There is no, there is no peace agreement between God and the world. If we align ourselves with this worldly system, then we commit spiritual adultery and are untrue to God. You think I'm taking it too far? I should probably get Bible to back this up. How about James 4.4? 4? You want me to back it up with Bible? Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the is what? Against God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the my God, it don't get any plainer than that. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Read, read that aloud. Everybody see that real good? Wipe your glasses off. Adjust your contacts. Squint real hard. I want you on the count of three. I want you to read this with me, or better yet, if you have your own Bible, open it up, read it, underline it, so you don't think that Brother John is back there with some deluded, you know, translation back there trying to trick you into just agreeing with what I say. How about you read it with me? One, two, three. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. The word friend there in the Greek, let me, let me tap into my um, professor mode here for a moment. The word friend there in the Greek, it doesn't mean friend as in being kind. It means ally. So when I, when I say you cannot ally yourself, let, let me back it up. When God says you cannot ally yourself with darkness, if you do, you become the enemy of God. I'm going to sit down for a minute because this one is so good. I, if I don't sit down, I'm going to amen myself. So when, when the word of God says you cannot ally with the Skittles convention and their flag, what God says is if you align with that movement, you're my enemy. I didn't say that. God said that. 
So if you're for all of that, for, and, and for whatever reason that you think is good and justifiable and equitable and societable and, and polite and all of these things, God draws a line and says, no, that is the world. If you ally with that, you are my enemy. But I've got the Holy Ghost. You, no, you don't. It, it vacated enemy territory. That doesn't mean we can't, that, that we have to be unpleasant. Why do I have to do this all the time? It doesn't mean you have to be unpleasant or rude and go around and lob, you know, slander and slurs and all that kind of stuff. That's not what that means. You know, people that think, well, if I don't, you know, if I don't celebrate with them and if I don't agree with them, then, then that means I have to be mean to them. No, it don't. Quit, quit being so petulant. Grow up. I can love everybody and do and not agree with them. Amen. But God says, if my word stands against it and you ally with anything that stands against my word, oh, by the way, this is New Testament, in case you didn't know, James is in the New Testament. Um, he says, if you ally with anything my word stands against, you just signed up on the enemy's list. Now, here's the good news. You're not forever banished. All you got to do is, all I have to do, we have to, because I am certain there have been in my, times in my life since I began my walk with Christ that I have allied with the enemy. All we have to do is repent. Get back on the right side. But, Pastor, you don't understand the world that we live in. It's going to be hard to take a stand against that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And hold on, sir, ma'am. Hold on for just a minute. Get ready. It's always been hard. 2,000 years ago, they were burning you alive and feed you to animals for it. So what, what you need to do is, and you know, I'm glad I'm on this. I didn't intend to get on this. It's not all in my notes, but the, the, the spirit of it is. Because we're getting in an election season, you know, which is why COVID is fixing to get really bad. Um, watch who you align yourself with. Now, I'm independent. I don't support either party. I'm not a party. Let me say, I'm not a party guy. I'm not a party guy. I changed my affiliation a long time ago. Done. But I'm going to tell you, there's one side I can guarantee I'm not lining up with. And that's the one that wants to take your children from you if you don't affirm whatever gender they are. And it's the one that, that celebrates murdering babies in the womb. Because if you align with that, you're the enemy of God. So I don't agree with them on all that, but this one thing, you can't separate. As a matter of fact, they already told you, if you don't agree with this, you're not welcome in our party. Now, the Bible says if you strengthen the hand of one that does evil, then God will judge you for the evil they do. Is this, is this just too old-fashioned? Is, is, is this too biblical to be teaching in churches now? This is the word. Folks, 
the Bible, Paul said, what fellowship does light have with darkness? We don't have any right because the Bible says, James said, we become the enemy of God. Put James 4 and 4 back up there again, lest they think I'm taking this out of context. You adulterers and adulteresses. Now, this does not only, if you go back in the Greek, uh, there's variating, uh, uh, various definitions. Now, singular, you know, first and foremost, meaning adulterer and adulteress, meaning a breach of morality. That can mean in the sexual context of a marriage. But it can also mean the violation of covenant. So when he says adulterer and adulteress, you say, well, I'm not married or I'm married, but I've never cheated on my spouse. It's meaning the breaking of a covenant bond. You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship or the ally of the world is enmity. Just look up enmity. Just give me a good definition for that on your phone. It's Mr. Tech Wizard over there. He can pull it up. Five, four, three, two. I don't know. He's already got it. He's reading it in Hebrew, and he's fixing to translate it through Swahili and Greek, and then he's going to bring it out. Just give me what, what's a quick definition. I know what it is, but go ahead. What's internet? The state or feeling of being actively opposed or hostile. Something. 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 So it says that the world is hostile with God. Hey, do me a favor. Here's a good test with whether you should support a party or a politician. Here's a good test. Let me see. Oh, can I borrow your Bible for a minute? I dare you to walk into a Democrat convention holding one of these. They hate it. Unless you're willing to say, oh, I don't believe any of that, just the good parts. Now, that is not my endorsement of the other party. Plenty of corruption on that side. Just go up to your favorite candidate and say, would you sign my Bible? Watch their reaction. Walk in, just start reading random scriptures. Just open it up, see what happens. Oh, Lord, rebuke me. <laughs> Psalm 6, I just open it up. Oh, Lord, rebuke me in thine anger. Neither uh, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. I'm, we're not weak. Compared to God, you are. Just, just start flipping pages, walk into their next rally, and just start singing. Uh, wow, here we go, Joel 2. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion. You read good scriptures. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the habitations of the land tremble for the day of the Lord. Cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Did you mark that, or did I just flip to that? Put your finger on that. That's a good scripture. <laughs> Blow you the trumpet. Sound the alarm in Zion. What is, what is the apostle? What, do you, you think the apostle James has a better idea of the heart of God than some dingbat that's got a TikTok channel? and got his theological degree from some university that you can get a postgraduate and not even get a job at McDonald's from? Who do you think is going to be closer to the mind of Christ? James who walked with him? Or somebody that hates the tenets of God? I think he's going to be. And he tells us, do not ally with the world.
because if I ally with the world, what do we become? Enemy of God. And a lot, a lot of places won't say this. And I'm not saying that boastfully. I'm just saying it because they're, they're too scared to say it. They're too scared that, you know, the, uh, the, the income will go down and people will get offended and all of that stuff. Look, I'm going to tell you right now, God's church will be preserved. And, and, the, and the fact of the matter is, people want what we're preaching and teaching right now. Not everybody. Nope, not everybody has ever wanted it. Heard somebody recently get up and prophesied a seven billion soul revival. That, that is the biggest false prophecy I've ever heard. Seven billion people aren't going to be saved. The Bible doesn't say the whole earth is going to be saved. The Bible said few there be that find it. Many are called, but few are chosen. So it's relative, right? The only way seven billion people would be saved is you were able to twist scripture enough like a, like a balloon animal and, and make it palatable for everybody, but you can't. All right, I see the runway. I don't have the landing gear down, but I see the runway. <laughs> Hope you've been buckled in this whole time. So that, that, that's been, that, that, is, that has kind of always been the case. Um, typically is... is um, the apostle said that, and I'm paraphrasing, he said that preachers and teachers, they turn the word of God into fables or fairy tales for filthy lucre's sake. In other words, they change God's word because they want the income that comes into the church. They want it palatable. God's church is never going to be broke. We, we, have, we have people, when we started in Vacaville, with the Two, two church splits in the first few years. Now, I don't mean just few, I mean literal splits because we would not back up on the word of God. Not going to. And I have people walk out and say, you, this church will not survive without my money. We'll break you. <laughs> on behalf of God, not me. You're not going to jab your finger in God's eye it, it may look bad in the moment, and there were a lot of stressful moments. There were some months where we were just like, I hope, we, I, I, I hope they don't foreclose on our house. I hope they don't repo our vehicle because we didn't know how we were going to pay bills. We always made sure the church bills got paid first. And I told that person, I said, you pull your money. And I've told this here, and I said, I'm telling you, I prophesy to you, God will send ravens to feed me. This prophet will not do without. Say, so, oh, that's arrogant. That's the word of God. And if you don't have a boldness like a lion to stand up to that type of a spirit, it'll push you every which way. And I remember in a service, we didn't know how we were going to pay that rent. There was like 12 of us. Like almost $3,000 a month is what our rent was. We were just a two or three-year-old church. We didn't have that kind of money. The money left. I mean, we had a split. Half the leaders, half the church board left. It hurt. All of a sudden, I remember seeing one service, and a man walk in and lean over and whisper something to the usher and hand it to him, turn around and walk off. They come to me after church, said, Pastor, this guy walked in. I asked him to sit down, have a seat, and join the service. He said, no, I, I, I don't want to. I was literally just driving by this church, and God spoke to me. And said, go in there and give this to the church and open it up. And it was the money we needed to pay the rent that month. 
And God did it month after month after month. And we never missed a car payment. We never missed a house payment. We never missed the church rent. We never missed PG&E. We made a, a top ramen a few more nights than we wanted. I just thought I'd just interject that into the spirit of this church. God's going to take care of his church. God's going to take care of his church. And all the ones that said, oh, it's not going to survive without me or this church isn't going to survive. Have you been to Vacaville lately? We seriously should be running multiple services right now. It's so crowded. So let me just say that when people start running saying, you're not going to make it without me, and da, 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 and if you just let up on holiness and you just let up on this and let up on that, it don't phase me. I've already stood on God's word before. I know, Brother Roberto, who I'm allied to. I know who they're allied to, and I know who I'm allied to. And my daddy's tougher than your daddy. Amen. All right, now the runway's coming down, and the landing gear, you hear it? It's my wife's favorite part of the flight when that landing gear starts going down. And she's digging her fingernails into my skin. I'm just like, breathe, breathe. You know, in the whole mask thing, that was the only good thing about it is people couldn't see the terror in her face. You know, she's digging my arm. And I used to, you know, I'm more gentle about it now, but used to, I'd be like, what, what was that? We're going to die. <laughs> Start hitting turbulence coming in. You know, when I flew, when I used to fly exclusively United, we'd go through Denver sometimes. Anytime you land in Denver, there's major turbulence because of the mountain. Man, we'd be going through that and just be bouncing. And she's like, got her finger. I'm bleeding. I've got to have a medic waiting for me at the end of the deal. And, you know, they're out there with blood transfusions and everything. And we're just bouncing in, coming in. And I'd be like, oh, don't worry, babe. We just got a flat tire. That's all. But it's impossible to remain on both sides of the fence in our allegiance to Jesus Christ. We can't. We can't have allegiance to both. When we love him, we keep ourselves separate from the world. If we love the world, we cannot serve the Lord because the world system is opposed to the Lord. It is apparent that a person must not love the world if they desire a life of holiness. Because if we love the world, then we will seek affirmation from the world on what the world says is trendy or stylish or in vogue or acceptable or PG. You, you have to say, no, no, I operate by a different system. Amen. And you, you operate opposed to that system. So the world looks, and, and I'll get into this in the coming weeks. I may not finish this this year. Actually, there's a great possibility. This series goes into February. Uh, and we'll get in a lot of this. Because I don't want to gloss over this stuff. I want to teach it in detail. Because I believe I'm teaching to people that are determined to make heaven their home. And when, when somebody's determined to make heaven their home, they can't be offended by the word of God. You know, when Jesus told the crowd after he fed them, he said, all right, 
Who's ready to drink my blood and eat my body? Now, I'm paraphrasing. He didn't say it exactly like that, but it's pretty close. Now, he was talking about something spiritually. They were so carnal. They were still chomping on fish and chips, so carnal, that they thought he was talking about cannibalism. And so every one of them got up with their little to-go box and went home. And Jesus got so upset, he was ticked off. He said, don't say that about Jesus. He was. You don't see the same Jesus in the Bible. He got mad a few times. Then you can be mad. Yeah, angry and sin not. People think Christians walk around, they're just, they just shuffle and, you know. No, there's righteous indignation. He was angry. And he turned to the 12 and he said, why don't you leave too? You know, if the Lord did that to most of us, we go, okay. I didn't really like you anyway. Seriously, think about it. He turned to the 12 and he said, uh, with the 12 apostles. Maybe I'll do a trivia question deal one of these days. Do y'all know how many disciples there were? Yell out the number if you know how many disciples there were. Nope. About 170. There were 12 apostles. So we think there's only 12. There was 170 that were going out that were, there was 120 in the upper room. There were 12 apostles. There were 12 he sent out to be his emissaries to preach his teachings, right? So I'm saying that say, even the disciples left the apostles. Even the inner circle, the buffer between the crowd and the apostles and then Jesus. And Jesus turned to the last 12 remaining and waved his hands and said, why don't you leave too? Boy, I feel like that sometimes. You ever feel like that with people? If you ain't going to get real, get lost. Maybe I'm just being a little too honest. You know, sometimes you see, why don't you go? Yo, you're only holding out to spy. We had people do that before. The church split. We had some people who knew they weren't going to stay. And I just want to go, why don't you leave? But then if I'd have done that, they'd have went going, oh, now he's telling everybody to leave. Because they'll always leave a spy, you know. <laughs> what are they saying about me? And it really ticks them off when you don't talk about them. So they got to make stuff up. But what do you say? I'm not saying anything. They said, oh, well, they testified and, and somebody got up and sang a song um, about, uh, what did you sing tonight? It was, uh, what was the first song you sang tonight? Huh? I've come to praise him. No, they were singing that song, I came to praise him, and I can't be sure, but I'm almost certain that when they were singing it, they were thinking about you because the way their eyebrows were moving when you were singing the song. Right? So Jesus said, hey, hey, let's just separate meat from bone right here. Let's, let's fish or cut bait. Why don't you guys get out of here too? And then Peter spoke up and said, but where would we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Because when you really want to follow Christ, he cannot offend you. That's what he said. Blessed is The forgotten beatitude is, blessed is he whomsoever is not offended in me. Amen? All right. Uh, we're landing. So when we love him, we keep ourselves separated from the world. They say separate from the world. Amen. The love of the world will hinder you from living a victorious Christian life. 
and it will lead you away from the church if you love the world. Eventually, if you don't purge the love of the world out of your heart, if you don't stop allying with the enemies of God, eventually you'll turn back to a life of sin because you couldn't separate the love of the world from your life. You could be greatly used of God and still turn back because you don't get a love for the world out of your heart. I'm begging you to say, prove it, pastor. No, say, pastor, I want Bible. No, say it to me like you mean it. Okay. 2 Timothy 4.10. This is possible to be greatly used of God. And if you don't get the world out of your heart, that you will turn on God. Paul wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, chapter 10 and said, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Because Demas did not get it out of his heart. Because Demas kept allying with the world. Eventually, he left and he forsook the church. You fall in the direction you lean. Let me say it again. You fall in the direction you lean. A couple years ago, I was back at my dad's and I was cutting some trees down with a chainsaw. And now help me out. You're a woodsman too. You're probably much better logger than I am. Um, Brother David, when you're cutting a tree and that thing starts leaning right, do you tell everybody, quick, run to the right. The tree's going to fall. Where do you tell them to go? Go left. Why? Because the tree's going to fall where? The way it's leaning. If you are leaning to the world, you're going to fall into the world. But if you're leaning toward God, you're going to fall into the Lord. Amen? Praise God. Demas was a quitter. He was untrue and unfaithful to the Lord. It is difficult to understand how a person can turn their back on Jesus Christ and forsake eternal life for the temporal things of this world. Brother Lucas, if you'll come. Demas forsook God because he loved this present world. Now listen, the sin of backsliding is, is serious and inevitable when someone will love the world or even ally with the world more than Jesus Christ. Jesus said it like this. He said, hey, remember Lot's wife. Jesus warned us. He said, remember Lot's wife. She became a memorial of a backslidden heart. Follow me for just a minute. Follow me for a minute. She became the memorial, the eternal memorial for a backslidden heart. Please say prove it, Pastor. Thank you. I can tell you how she's a memorial for the backslider eternally. Number one, she was with the right crowd. And she was going in the right direction. And she was mostly obeying God. Except that 
she looked back. It's not good enough just to go to church. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching the truth. It's not good enough just go to church. And it's not just good enough to hang out with the right people and be going in the right direction with the right people. It's also important that you get it out of your heart so that you're not looking back. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. She was a, she's a memorial of the backslidden heart. She was of the right family. She was of the right lineage. She had everything right except her heart. Child of God, listen to me. We cannot have the love of the world in our heart. She did not look back because she was, uh, she did not look back because she was curious. Curiosity did not cause her to look back. Her love for Sodom caused her to look back. Curiosity don't make you backslide. A love for it does. She wanted to turn around. She wanted to go back. Her heart remained in Sodom with all of its worldly pleasures. I don't understand it. I don't understand Lot. I don't understand his wife. The people of Sodom wanted to rape his daughters and him and his guests. And yet, she could not get the love. See, here's the thing. We know the world will destroy us. But for some reason, knowing that the thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, and destroy, we'll still look back. If a Christian's love is rooted in the world, they're eventually going to turn back to the world. For this reason, for this reason, the love of the world is strictly forbidden for the New Testament believer. Jesus said it like this, and this is what I'll close with in Luke 9 and 62. Say, prove it, Pastor. I'm just in that mood right now. Say, you got to back that up with Scripture, Pastor. Luke 9, 62, this is what Jesus said. No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You can't, you can't have a neck problem and a heart problem. You will derail your walk with God. You got to get the love of the world love and I'm not saying oh a, 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 you know a love for murder or a love for some far outlandish huge gigantic sin I'm talking about even a love for the world the seeking the affirmation of the world would you stand with me tonight I taught on our lesson is be not conformed tonight I taught on love not the world by the grace of God next week I'm going to teach on separation talked about why we don't love the world prepare yourself pray go back through this bible lesson i'm hoping you're taking notes or going back and listening to the podcast sister amrette made these beautiful uh, notebooks you can be taking notes in they have first church on i'm sure she can get you some more if you've taken so many notes you've already ran out of the notebook 
Amen. I think she can get you a 10,000 page binder. Brother, Brother Ruben will help you carry that thing in here and set it down. Uh, take, take notes. Write copious notes. Go back and study it. Because when we come back next week, we're going to talk about being separate from the world. How can we be separate? How many want to know how to be separate from the world? It's not just throwing out a bunch of rules and regulations. There's more than that. There'll always be rules and regulations if your heart's not in it. Amen. Amen. Sister Jean, is this this old-fashioned type teaching? Did you grow up on this kind of stuff too? I did too. I told you before, I feel like old Hank Jr. song, I'm a dinosaur. Should have died out a long time ago, right? Because it just doesn't fit in pop culture, modern church. But Jesus has never fit the world. We have to adjust to him. You know why, you know why we teach this? Because we want you to be saved. God wants you to be saved. That's why it is in his word. Amen. So I want you to leave here tonight making this prayer and this declaration. God, help me to discern the love of the world and a love for you. Give me that wisdom. How many would say that's what I need? Hey, I'm, I'm 43 years old and I still need that help. Lord, help me discern between what is a love for the world and what's a love for you in a more nuanced sense. I get it in general, but even in a more nuanced, even in a more uh, micro level, not just macro, but micro. I want every detail of my life to align to your kingdom because I don't want to be Lot's wife and I don't want to be Demas. I want to give my heart to his kingdom. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, we're Bible study night. This isn't typically a subject. We're going to start dancing and running the aisles and all that kind of stuff. But would you just, could we make a prayer meeting for about two minutes? You got two minutes to have a prayer meeting. Could you just lift your hands to the Lord and say, Father, help me to be able to discern between the world's kingdom and your kingdom. Lord, I I don't want to be allied. I don't want to be allied with the things of this world. Lord, I don't want my heart to slip from the things of your kingdom to the things of this world. I I don't want it to be said of me in the annals of time, in the record book of heaven. I don't want it to be said of me I fell in the category of Demas or Lot's wife. Lord, I don't want it to be said of me that I was like the 5,000 who walked away when you preached commitment. I want to be, Lord, one of those chosen few that have made up my mind. I am turning against the flow of carnality and sin. And I am going to resist the current of carnality. I'm going to resist the very nature of my flesh. And I am going to swim toward the headwaters of holiness. I am going to swim toward, oh God, that life that you have promised and destined for me to have. A victorious life, Lord. A life of fellowship and communion with you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room tonight. Give them the strength to walk with you, Lord. Give them the strength to seek out after you, to walk in the way of holiness, O 
follow peace with all men. Lord, to not be conformed to this world and to love not this world, oh God. Lord, put your put your spirit so thick in our lives that you will move and turn and twist our heart in the direction that it needs to go. Wash me. Wash me daily, God. Wash my mind and regenerate it to the things of the kingdom. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. Amen. Lord, wash and regenerate my mind to the things of the kingdom. I want to be more heavenly minded. I want to be more kingdom minded. Lord, I want to be more mindful of your word and of the culture of your kingdom. Oh God, strengthen us, oh Lord. Go with us as we leave this place. Lord, I pray for those tonight that are making commitments in their heart right now. They're making determinations in their spirit right now. Lord, tonight I know that while I was teaching, there were little things that, that you were touching in their heart. Give them the strength to turn from that, oh God. Give them the strength to take that next step forward in a prayer life or in a devotion, Lord. Give them the strength, oh God, to, and the courage to make that next advancement in their relationship with you. In Jesus' name. Just thank the Lord for his spirit here tonight. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.